Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. forward to sharing with you tonight. I was telling Dave I've had such a great week preparing um, for this and planning it. Um, sorry, I didn't even start my timer there. There we go. Um, and I'm, I've been really excited all week about sharing with you. Um, so as Dave said, I'm going to be looking at that verse. Um, but just as a bit of a recap, if you haven't been with us for the last few weeks, we're on this series, the Sermon on the Mount, and we're looking at what Jesus was teaching during this time. And just as a really quick recap, we've already looked at this verse. Uh, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And what we learned from this verse was that Jesus saw the crowds. He saw them. He saw them as individuals. He saw each person. He knew what was going through their minds. He knew what was happening in their lives. And so he began to teach the Sermon on the Mount, out of that place, out of a place of relationship, out of a place of knowing his people. And then a few weeks ago, we looked at this verse, these few verses we looked at, this is called the Beatitudes. If you don't know, there's some really well-known verses. And then this Jesus was beginning to teach about the nature of of the kingdom of heaven. And he was teaching that actually see all those who are poor in spirit, who mourn, who are meek, who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness who are merciful, pure in heart, who are peacemakers and persecuted, they're all blessed. They're all blessed, not because they are these things, but because this is the kingdom of heaven. And I love even um, the, the graphic for this series, that it shows that actually Jesus was talking and the things that he was saying were absolutely revolutionary. They were taking the beliefs and the concepts of these people and he was flipping them upside down. He was turning their world upside down. And so tonight, um, I'm going to pick up just from where we left off, from the verse that we have just looked at. I'm going to read it out again. I know you've just read it twice, but we'll do it a third time. This is what it says. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And the first thing that I'd love for you to pick up on tonight, something that I hadn't really realized until I got into reading this, and it might seem a bit obvious, but this is what it says. You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. This isn't a command just to be like salt or just to be like light, but Jesus is saying to his disciples, you are, because you are my disciples, you are salt and you are light. This is a statement of nature. He's declaring exactly who they are. And the disciples that were listening, they'd already listened to this command, come follow me in the passages before. They'd already listened to Jesus saying this and they decided to do that. They decided that they wanted to give everything to him. They wanted to follow Jesus. 
They'd already listened to Jesus speak about the nature of the kingdom of heaven, the, the Beatitudes that we just looked at. They'd already listened to Jesus say that, and they knew that this was the message that they had to carry. And they were just about, in the passages that were to follow, they were just about to listen to Jesus teach on love and lust and anger and retaliation that we'll look at in the weeks to come. And they were going to become obedient to that. And so, there we go. And so whenever Jesus says, you are salt and you are light, this isn't just a nice metaphor. It isn't just a nice analogy. But Jesus is saying, when you are my disciples, as part of that, you are salt and you are light. It's a vital role for God's people on earth. And so when we look at this passage, we need to remember its place in God's story. We need to remember the whole picture, that this is its place in this greater story of God. Because you see, right in the beginning, in those creation moments, when God created man and woman, when he created Adam and Eve, he gave them a role, and that role was to fill the earth and subdue it. He told them that they were kings, priests on earth, priests for God. And so they gave that rule a shot, albeit there were some flaws, but they gave that rule a shot. And that rule was passed down throughout God's people, throughout Abraham and David, Moses. That rule was passed down throughout God's people, right to Jesus. And in Hebrews, we read about Jesus, that he was the ultimate high priest. So this means he took this role and he fulfilled it so perfectly. And once he did that, this role was then passed on to us. It was passed on to his disciples and passed on to his church. And so when we understand this passage in this context, we understand that this is a God-given role. This isn't just a nice analogy, but this is a vital role that we are given. Scott McKnight, in his commentary, he describes this passage as an encouragement to reimagine our role in the world as God's agents of redemption. God's agents of redemption, that's pretty cool, isn't it? And so before I get into what salt and light actually means, let me just say this, with all that in mind, Followers of Jesus, as we are these things, this does not mean that we are any better than anyone else. This does not mean that disciples have it sorted any more than anyone else. But it means that we're simply followers and that God, in all of his grace, invited us to participate in his kingdom. He invited us to take part. So what does he actually mean? Jesus said this, you are the salt of the earth. And so in the time of here, and this would have made perfect sense to the crowds that were listening to, to the disciples that were listening. Um, but for us in this age and in this culture, it requires a bit of understanding. So in those times, salt was a really precious commodity. It could be used for so many things. It could be used as an offering. It could be used to make covenants. In Numbers and in Chronicles, you can read about the covenants that were made with salt. It was even used to pay soldiers' wages. And that's where that word, my dad told me this, that's where that word salary comes from, if you didn't know. Also, you know that saying, he's not worth his salt. That's where that comes from as well. Um, but there's two main uses that relate to this. Salt was used as a preservative. So I'm sure you're all aware that salt can preserve meat and it can preserve fish. 
And in this time, when there were no fridges, there were no freezers or anything like that, salt was necessary for life. It was so necessary to stop meat and fish and food from rotting and from decaying. It was so necessary to keep it edible. And so in this statement, when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he's saying you need to preserve, you need to preserve truth and goodness in a world that can so often look like it's fallen down around us, in a world that can so often look for the bigger and the better and faster. We need to preserve truth and we need to preserve goodness. And so in order to do this, we must first know truth and goodness. We must be familiar with God's truths. We must be familiar with how good he is in order to preserve it. And this comes from intentional disciplines that we place in our lives, like we've been looking at over the last few months in our practice series, like we did tonight with our Lectio Divina. We need to place practice, practices and disciplines in our lives in order to preserve truth and goodness. We must be so grounded in God and in his truths that they flow out of us, that we actively preserve, that we actively salt the places that we find ourselves in. I love that verse in Colossians, yeah, that encourages us to live this out, to allow every conversation to be impacted by God. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let every conversation be impacted by God. And when Jesus described the disciples as the salt of the earth, they would have known exactly what he was talking about because they were so familiar with how vital salt was to life. This would have been completely emphatic. And for some reason, I don't know why, but whenever I think of the Sermon on the Mount, I think of it almost like a team talk. You know, if you're in the changing rooms before a match, and Jesus is rallying his troops. He's getting them ready to send them out and go and seek his kingdom. And I see this part, you are salt, you are light. This declaration, this is like whenever he's naming the team. But instead of him saying, oh, well, you're going to be up front and you're going to be in defense and you're going to be in the sub on the bench and you're going to be in the bench. He said, no, no, look around, we're all starting. We're all in the starting team. And you know what? There's no bench. There's no one that you can substitute on to fill your role. You're all salt. And you all must make a difference. And you all must play your part. And so another use of salt, one that we're more familiar with, I'm sure, is seasoning. There's another version of this passage, I think it's the message version, and it talks about bringing out the God flavors of this earth. Salt can make or break a plate of food, can't it? Without it, sometimes your food might be too bland. Maybe your chips just aren't the same. It draws out all those really good flavors in your food. And so this call from God, this declaration is saying, you are to bring out those God flavors. You are to season your workplace or your school or your university or your home, you're to season it with things of God, with godly things. Because the last thing that a Christian should be is bland. Contrary to popular belief, Christians aren't boring. We should not be bland. And so this means that if you are in an environment, you must make a difference. 
there must be an impact. And as you season your environment, as you season wherever you're with, wherever you are, with love and with peace, with joy, with all these godly things, something happens. Because what salt also does as a seasoning, as a flavoring, what it does is it creates thirst. Do you ever find yourself after a big fry or after a bacon buddy or big Chinese making you all hungry? You're so thirsty, aren't you? (laughs) All you need is a massive glass of water because all that's salt. And so as we are the salt in our workplace or in our university or home or wherever we are, we need to make the world thirsty for God and thirsty to know his truths and his gospel, thirsty to know that Jesus died for them. This is what Jesus says to those who are thirsty. All you thirsty ones, come to me, come to me and drink. Because in him, in God, is living water. Jesus says, whoever, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And I think people need to know this, don't they? The people that we get to do life with every single day, they need to know this more than ever. And it's our role to make them thirsty to know that. We are agents of redemption equipped to salt the earth. Agents of redemption equipped to salt the earth. And the second statement that Jesus says is, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. This term light, it's a really common term in the Bible, isn't it? It's something that we're really familiar with. And it's something that's grasped me. Even over these last few months, it's really grasped me. Because I think so often we just look past it. Uh, I've been reading John over these last few months, and this is what it says in chapter one. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So this is talking about Jesus, about how he, by nature, he's the light of the world. He's the light in the darkness. Of course he is. That's not new to you, because he's the son of God. And this idea is seen all throughout the Bible. We sang about it in that song. I wrote the lyrics down in case I forgot them. It says, you make the darkness tremble. Your name is a light that the shadows can't deny. We're so familiar with this. This has always been part of God's nature to be a light. And this is something that's really grasped me, as I say, over these last few months. This is a thought that has stuck in my head. That right in the Genesis moments, right in those creation moments, God called light into the darkness. This is what he says in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. This was in the beginning, in those Genesis moments, in those moments of creation. But God continued to call light into the darkness every single day since. Through the Old Testament, we read about this through the people that he used, through Abraham, 
through David, God used them to call light into the darkness. Right up to Jesus, the ultimate light of the world. And you know what? He didn't stop there. Every single day since, God has called light into the darkness. And he still does, even now. He can do that through us. Right here, right now, in this moment, he can do that through us. Because that's part of his nature. And so that means two things for us tonight. That means, uh, number one, if you find yourself in a place of darkness, maybe that's a place of confusion or uncertainty, then take heart because this light, that command, let there be light, God still speaks that into being today. God still speaks that into being today. But also, through knowing this, we realize just how significant that call is on us to be the light of the world, to be the priests and the rulers on earth. This is once again reflected as salt and light. This is part of God's mission. And because we are followers of God, that then becomes part of our mission. We get to participate in this. This is what God's mission is. This is from the Scott McKnight's commentary again. I thought this was really good. It says, God's mission is to redeem a broken creation, broken as a result of sin and disobedience, through the life, death, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus, through the gift of the Spirit to God's people, in order to bring creation into its perfect order. And so the challenge, therefore, for us as God's people is living this right now, is living into God's kingdom in the here and in the now. I'm sure you're aware one light bulb can light up a room. A fraction of light makes a massive difference. It can transform. And so we need to be God's agents of redemption equipped to carry the light of the world. God's agents of redemption equipped to carry light to the world. And that looks different for everyone. On the day-to-day, everybody's lives are different. Practically, that looks like something different. But what it means is that we should all be grounded in God. Like I said about salt, like I said about having those practices and disciplines in our life. This is what it says in Colossians. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness. We need those practices and those disciplines in our life because as we ensure that our life's foundation is in God, then out of that place we can go and bring light to our world because our world definitely needs it. This is what Bonhoeffer says, is not the cross something which became outrageously visible in complete darkness? Is not the cross something which became outrageously visible in complete darkness? The light of Jesus is only made clearer and brighter in comparison to the world. And we are the ones that need to carry it. But there is a warning in these passages as well. It says this, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Goes on to say, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden and neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. This isn't really groundbreaking stuff, is it? 
Jesus knew this. The crowds knew this. Hopefully we all know this, that if you have salt that's not very salty, and if you've light that's hidden away, then it's absolutely useless. There's no other way of saying it. It doesn't make sense. And so this means if you are a follower of God, then this needs to be made so clear in your life. Your pursuit of God and therefore of godly things can't be hidden or diminished. And this statement of Jesus, this declaration of who you are as salt and light, this must be taken to heart. And so as we think about the name of this service, 166, like Dave was explaining, our weeks have 168 hours in them. Two of them, roughly, depending on how long you talk for, are spent at church. But the other 166, that's where the business happens. That's where the fun happens. That's when you're out in your mission field, spreading the gospel. This is the time that we actively salt and actively light. And these 166 hours in our week are the time that we can fulfill this role that we're here to do. This isn't just our chance to take part in the God story, but this is our time. I hope you see the difference. This isn't just an opportunity. This isn't just our chance, but this is our vital time that we take part. God didn't create this role just to fit in around our plans, but this is the ultimate plan itself. Peter says this, you are God's chosen treasure. Priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light. And now he claims you as his very own. He did this so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. Look at that. He called you, he called each of us out of darkness to experience his marvelous light. And why did he do that? He did that so that we may broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. This is our role. We are salt and light. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are salt and light. There's no option in it. Sorry to tell you. You are salt and light. And so with that in mind, I'm nearly finished. With that in mind, I'd love to ask you a question. I'd love to challenge you on something. This has challenged me this week. Um, And so I'd love if you could take this question, write it down if you can, ponder over it now, ponder over it during the week. This has wrecked my head for a week, so I'm glad to share it with you. I want you to think about this. If the only witness that people had about God was your life, what would they conclude? So if the only witness that people had about God was what you do and you say, how you are, how you respond, what would they conclude? Because I can assure you that they will all come to some conclusion. They will all come to some conclusion. But is that the right one? So take that, allow that to go over in your head during the week. (laughs) It'll do your head in. Um, We're just going to take some time now. If you have your um, sheet of paper, I'd love you to get it out again.
And I'm just going to read through these verses once more. And we're going to take some time to respond and to reflect. If you have a journal, write down some thoughts. If you even have a pen, you can write it on the paper. Let me just read it out. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So as you read through that, I'm just going to ask two questions and leave some time to respond to it. As I do that, the band can come and get set up. So I want to ask you this. What is God saying to you? Individually, what has God saying to you? And as you dwell on what God sends you personally, I'd love for you to think about this. In those 166 hours in your week, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to let it impact you? How are you going to let it change your behavior, change what you do? What are you going to do about it? Heavenly Father, thank you that your word is forming and that as we read it, that you form new things in us. New intimacies and new truths. So God, I pray that as we reflect on what you are doing and saying tonight, pray that you would just form something new within us. Pray that you would form new truths, God, so that as we go out into our week, we will be changed, encouraged to be salt, to be light, God, I pray clarity in how each of us individually can do this. And I pray that we would lean on you as we do that. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for your love. I pray this in your name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.